promise, Lord, never again. But I also know that you know what a weak willed person I am. I'm a wonderful person. Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky proclaims its maker's handiwork. One day tells its tale to another, and one night imparts knowledge to another. Although they have no words or language and their voices are not heard, their sound has gone out into all lands and their message to the ends of the world, where God has pitched a tent for the sun. It comes forth like a bridegroom out of his chamber. It rejoices like a champion to run its course. It goes forth from the other, uttermost edge of the heavens and runs about to the end of it again. Nothing is hidden from its burning heat. The teaching of the Lord is perfect and revives the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure and gives wisdom to the simple. The statutes of the Lord are just and rejoice the heart. The commandment of the Lord is clear and gives light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean and endures forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, more than much fine gold, sweeter far than honey, than honey in the comb. But also is your servant enlightened, and by them also is your servant enlightened, and in keeping them there is great reward. Who can detect one's own offenses? Cleanse me from my secret faults. Above all, keep your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not get dominion over me. Then shall I be whole and sound and innocent of a great offense. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen. A reading from Ezekiel 23, beginning at the 36th verse. The Lord said to me, Son of man, will you judge Ohala and Ohalaba? Declare to them their abominations, for they have committed adultery, and blood is on their hands. With their idols they have committed adultery, and they have been offered up, they even offered up to them for food the children whom they had borne to me. Moreover, this they have done to me, they have defiled my sanctuary on the same day, and profaned my Sabbaths. For when they had slaughtered their children and sacrificed to their idols, on the same day they came into my sanctuary to profane it. And behold, this is what they did in my house. They even sent for men to come from afar, to whom a messenger was sent, and behold, they came. For them you bathed yourself, painted your eyes, and adorned yourself with ornaments. You sat on a stately couch with a table spread before it on which you had placed my incense and my oil. The sound of a carefree multitude was with her, and with men of the common sort, drunkards were brought from the wilderness, and they put bracelets on the hands of the women and beautiful crowns on their heads. Then I said of her who was worn out by adultery, now they will continue to use her for a whore, even her, for they have gone into her as men go into a prostitute. Thus they went into Ohala and Ohalaba, lewd women. But righteous men shall pass judgment on them with the sentence of adulteresses and with the sentence of women who shed blood because they are adulteresses and blood is on their hands. For thus says the Lord God, bring up a vast host against them and make them an object of terror and plunder. 
and the host shall stone them and cut them down with their swords. They shall kill their sons and their daughters and burn up their houses. Thus will I put an end to lewdness in the land, that all women may take warning and not commit lewdness as you have done. And they shall return your lewdness upon you, and you shall bear the penalty of your sinful idolatry, idolatry, and you shall know that I am the Lord God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I had a Freudian slip there for a second. I meant to say idolatry, and it came out adultery. But it's interesting that that seems to be the focus here uh, of Ezekiel in, in chapter 23. It doesn't seem to be. It is. And that he's equating uh, the idolatry of Samaria, the northern kingdom, and, and Judah, the southern kingdom, uh, uh, Samaria and Jerusalem. Samaria having already t- been taken away in exile by the Assyrians and uh, Jerusalem about to have the final exile you know, happening upon them, talking about their idolatry as adultery. And it, you know, the two words you say, adultery, fast enough, and it comes out adultery. But here it's it's this final condemnation of the two women of of Ohala and Ohalaba. Uh, and and here there's this declaration uh, of their uh, abominations. And it it takes it to a little bit more of a of a deeper level. Last last week we kind of looked at um, you know the, the the issues that were going to come from uh, the the two nations uh, wanting a, a different kind of tent, a different kind of God. Well, here we see the the problem with that as you already have a tent, a tent from God, God himself, Jesus himself being given to you and how we as sinners, we often always want to seek out our own savior, our own tent, our own tabernacle, our own Ark of the Covenant, whatever whatever symbolism you, you want to use. And that's what's happening here. And that's what what is is really uh, chapping the hide of God here. And so he's, he says, first, uh, they have committed adultery. We've heard about this. Blood is on their hands. We've heard about this. We know all about this. With their idols, they have committed adultery. We, we know all about this. But then there's this huge, gigantic crime. They have even offered up to them the, the idols for food, the children whom they had born to me. The, the, the sense in the Hebrew is to devour them, uh, that, that these children uh, were born within the covenant. They were born as children of Yahweh. They, they were born with the promises being given to them. And instead, what did people do? They would take these children and you would have this, this idol that, uh, you know, Molech, that if I remember correctly, and I might be wrong, someone probably can correct me, but it would, the, the, there would be a fire underneath the hands of this idol that would really heat up the, the metal and you'd set the child on there and the child would be burned up. And um, my assumption is, is that they would kill the child before they would do that, but I don't know. And if I remember correctly, it's also attached to, uh, well, we had this child, thanks be to Molech, we're going to give this child back to um, to Molech uh, by burning him up and and to give thanks for what this child has has been for us and then we are uh, you know hopefully going to have more children after that which is this whole you know huge gigantic uh, forgetting of what it is that God has done because what we have happening in uh, in Leviticus Exodus and Leviticus uh, it, 
is the work of God to buy back uh, the firstborn that were not uh, killed in the final plague in the Exodus. When, when the angel of death comes and kills all the firstborn, uh, both man and beast, uh, in Egypt, and the Israelites are saved because of the Passover, they put the blood on the lentils of the doors, and then when they're, when they're in the wilderness... It is that God says every firstborn child belongs to me, and then they're they're redeemed uh, because the Levites get devoted to God as as servants in the tabernacle, but that it doesn't replace the fact that all the firstborn belong to God. Well, here you have uh, these families' children uh, born to to God, born within the covenant, and instead, what are the families doing? They're burning up their children to an, to an idol thinking that it's because of this idol, this fake God, that they have allegiance and they have prosperity and they have all of these things. And so they have to pay homage. It makes me think about how do we sacrifice our children today? How how do we sacrifice our children on the altars that we create for ourselves uh, because uh, we think they're expendable? We we think uh, that what we are doing in sacrificing them is somehow helping them. I, I can think of so many things such as, uh, gentlemen, if you're, if you're listening to this, you, you work too much. You spend all your time at work and no time at play. You know, I, I wonder how many, how many dads, uh, listening to this right now have taken the time to play catch with their son in the front yard or kick a, kick a soccer ball around or, um, take them fishing or, or whatnot. I I know there are many of you that do, but there's some of you that spend way too much time working. How many of you plan your year around your, your children's extracurricular activities, not because the children run the house, not because, uh, you, you are going to live and die vicariously through what it is that they do on the football field or the volleyball court or, the track or the swimming pool or whatnot, but because you're there to support them in, in what it is that they, they are doing that instead you, you create an idol of whatever it is that you sacrifice your children for. And then, and then you end up not even knowing your own kids. And this isn't just men, this is women too. You know, how, how about uh, those of us who maybe we make our marriages a way more of a priority than our children? How about the fact that our education system has betrayed them? That, that I sit here and I, I do youth ministry and children and family ministry, and I find out that our youth have no cl- coursework in uh, the high school here to help them discern what it is that they're supposed to do with their life. And so we spend a time as a church trying to talk about these things with them, talking about vocation, talking about God's gifts, talking about what it is that God has done for them and where God is calling them uh, based on uh, what they're good at, what they love, all these things. And yet that's, you know, we can only do it so much, whereas within the school, they should be exploring that. You know, how about we, we waste their time by making them take classes that are pointless, I've got some seniors this year that all they need is two more classes to be able to to get the qualification they need to uh, get into college. But no, they need to uh, fill out a six-course uh, schedule of the day because they have to fill up uh, fill up uh, credits in order to graduate with their diploma. 
or, or we, could, we could talk about the fact that we basically, because of insurance companies and everything else, we make it impossible for children to be able to learn how to work. That it's hard for them to get jobs when they're in high school anymore. Or it could be sports. How we, how we get them so involved in extracurricular activities that they're not able to do anything else. So many different things that could be our Moloch of the day. Never mind the fact that we make so many other things a priority in our lives, that spiritual life in our children, what, what our children need in order to grow in faith and love for God and for one another, to, to make uh, Christ their own, to be connected to him, to understand what it is that God has done in Jesus, uh, how we, we prioritize so many other things than having them be committed to actually having this religious life be part of their life. This religious life being something that defines them, their spirituality being something more than an hour on a Sunday. Or maybe even just an hour a month. <laughs> Needing something more, that it's not just a, a little tiny, you know, we'll do it when we get around to it, but it's something that that you you learn over time and when we as parents say well it's not that big of a deal then our kids are going to say it's not that big of a deal and we're going to make things worse i wonder well goes on to say here moreover this they have done this they have done to me they have defiled my sanctuary on the same day and profaned my sabbaths they have made my sanctuary unclean and they've treated it as common is what he's saying and he's saying that it's on the same day that they go and they they devote themselves to this one god then they show up at on a sabbath at the the uh, temple to do the worship there to for, for when they had slaughtered their children and sacrificed to their idols on the same day they came into my sanctuary to profane and behold this is what they did in my house uh, this this ceremonial religion cultural christianity putting on the costume uh, uh, making it nothing more than uh, than than just a, a thing that we might do in order to be seen by others it's something that we do just just because well it's what we're supposed to do rather than it's what we want to do it's funny how we will we will do a lot of things just like we we need to do for sundays whether it's get up early and come to church because we prefer an early service that's more uh, traditional or or sleep in a little bit and and come to sunday school class and the service or or what whatever the case may be we will do the same things that we have to do for almost anything else. We will get up early and we'll cancel plans and we'll make priorities to go fishing, go hunting, uh, uh, go to a sporting event, uh, drive to, to kingdom come to make sure that our kid gets time on the ice and hockey uh, so that they might make varsity when they're freshmen in high school. You know, all, all of these things. Right, and we'll make those priorities. But then Sunday comes around, and we say, "No, this is this is not enough. I need to sleep in. I need to do this. I need to do that." And then we wonder why, for instance, depression and anxiety are on the rise in this country, because there's no hope spoken to the lives of our children. 
We, we wonder why uh, people, especially women, girls, are astronomically higher on the scale as far as taking antidepressants, being in therapy, uh, having suicidal thoughts. All of these things that, that can be remedied through a life of hearing the gospel, of hearing the good news, church, of hearing what it is that God has done for them, that they are enough because God says they are enough. Uh, the, the things that the church should be saying that they can't hear anywhere else, that Instagram and TikTok and Snapchat can't tell them. And, and yet we, we take that from them because we make priorities of other things. That it is that I'm not talking about this because I want you in church or else because I want to pad the numbers or something. I'm talking about it because it's in the church that you have people that you wouldn't normally associate with there who love you, who care for you, who are not within your friend circle, maybe not within your work circle, not within your any sort of socialization whatsoever, and yet they love you. They care for you. They're there to pray for you. They're there to to preach the gospel to you. That is what they they the, the church is to do. Where the, the rest of the world will leave you behind. They're to do this. But what do we treat it as? We treat it as, well, this is just part of, of the scope of things. If I make it once or twice, make it maybe for Christmas and Easter, those sorts of things will be okay. Rather than realizing that it's, it's about nurturing this hidden part of us that we think is expendable, the spiritual life that we need, nurturing this part of us that actually makes us more of who we are than anything. And we need that more than anything. And yet what do we do? We tell our kids and we tell ourselves it's not worth it. It's not worth it. Why, why should I do this? And, and part of it is because a lot of us go to bad churches. I hope my church isn't a bad church. But, um, but it's, it's what we do. How, how can the Spirit and the Word of God work itself in you, church? Beloved, how, how can it work in you to, to prepare your heart to, to yearn to hear the word of God proclaimed, to yearn to be amongst fellow Christians, even people that we think we shouldn't stand and yet we can actually stand them. <laughs> it goes on to say that they purposefully seek out this paganism. They call for people from other places basically to say, teach us how to be like you. Teach us how to be more worldly. Teach us how to be more like your culture rather than the culture we've been called into. We do that all the time. That, that we want to be able to do everything we can in order to fit in. You, you see it in churches all the time. I, I just got done skimming another book that uh, is trying to tell you how best to run a church. And it everything, they don't, very rarely is anything cited of scripture. All of everything that's cited is of business professionals. And so basically what it's telling us as pastors is that the best way to run the church is like a business, which is insane because the church is not a business. The church is a hospice for dying people to care for them and love them, forgive their sin, put them to death and raise them up again. That's, that's the work of the church. 
And, and yet we turn it into McDonald's. We turn it into Burger King. We, we turn it into Wendy's. How, how, can, how can we change that, church? We, we find ourselves getting trapped in the same thing. We sit here and we think that Ezekiel's words have nothing to do with us, and yet, yet it's us everywhere, all over the, the pages. Uh, he even goes on to say in, in uh, verse 41, you sat on a stately couch with a table spread before it on which you had placed my incense, my oil. How, how we take the things that God has given us and we use them for other stuff. How can we use our gifts for God more rather than for other things? I wonder. Well, finally, it it connects to uh, um, the thinking that they would be tired of all this pursuit of other cultures, all of this adulteries and idolatries, but no, it says they're just going to continue. And then there's this gigantic warning that Babylon is actually going to be considered righteous in comparison to you because he says that righteous men shall pass judgment on them. We already talked about that last week, that that the judgment is going to come in the hands of, of Babylon and and, um, and yet the, and the Persians and the Medes later. Uh, but here God is saying they're more righteous than you, <laughs> which that's bad. Can there be people in the world that are more righteous than us, church? I wonder. I wonder. And eventually saying that all of this stuff is happening so that you might be a sign for the nations to knock it off. That, that, that all the other nations around you, he, here they, he uses the word women, but he's talking about all the other nations around you will tremble in fear. And then again, it finishes with that last phrase, and you will know me. <laughs> you will know me. The purposeful work of repentance in us is to know the Lord. Church, I... I I know these last two have been a little bit difficult, a little bit lewd, a little bit, you know, yeah, because, you know, all the, all the pictures of, of sexual sin and stuff as, as far as idolatry is concerned. But I wonder how it is, how is it hitting you? Because I read it and I sit here and I think about what sort of things I turn my attention to, what sort of things capture me, what sort of things uh, become uh, my idol so that I cast aside Jesus, I cast aside God. I don't think of what it is that God uh, is doing in me. And instead, I, I uh, try and find other things because I think that I need to find something more wild than Jesus because he's not enough. And instead, what we need to do is we need to attach our ourselves to, to him. That's my prayer for you. And so I'm th- wondering about maybe this next week, this weekend. How, how do you need to have God tear down your idols, church? How, how do you need to have God pull you away from these things so that the mercy and love of God might be the focus for you? How can our churches better serve you in order to be a place of refuge and rescue? to be a place of mercy, to be a place in which cultural Christianity goes to die and instead all there is is rebirth. I wonder what can happen there for you, church. I wonder. That's my prayer for you, that that would be the the focus of all things for you, that those things would be removed as far away from you as possible, that you might love him more than anything else. Let us pray. Faithful God, most merciful judge, you care for your children with firmness and compassion. 
by your spirit, nurture us who live in your kingdom, that we may be rooted in the way of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. What a prayer. Keep us rooted in him. Well, church, go in peace. Serve the Lord. We'll see you next time.